Speaking of Pastor Jim, all right, uh, I heard... I heard Pastor Jim was making some complaints about my sermon last week, and so I brought my Brass Knuckles coffee mug with me this morning. All right, so uh, Pastor Jim, you get out of hand here today. You better watch out. I got a knockout cup of coffee here. So in all seriousness, though, this morning we're going to be moving into uh, another very challenging topic. Now, I don't know what it is with you guys, but when we asked for questions, right, back in May, you guys definitely gave us the tough ones, all right? We've been looking at some tough issues here in the last few weeks, and today is no different. We're going to be looking at another one of these very challenging questions. Why does God allow suffering? You know, you don't have to look very hard to see examples of suffering in the world and, and really in all of our lives. You know, I just think back to the news just in the last week, and we're seeing daily the, the terrible stories coming out of Israel and the war between the Isra- Israelis and the Palestinians. We, we see this plane that's shot down over Ukraine and the tragic loss of life. Uh, we hear stories even within our own networks of friends and here at church just this morning. A close friend of mine at church asked me to pray for his, his brother and sister-in-law and, uh, who had just lost one of their newborn twins. And, uh, you know, we hear these stories like this, and they tear at our heart, and they leave us asking the question, why? Where is God in the midst of these difficult issues and times and circumstances? Why does God allow these things to happen? And for many people, these questions just can't be reconciled with a good and all-loving, all-powerful God. Author and theologian John Stott rightly stated that the fact of suffering undoubtedly constitutes the single greatest challenge to the Christian faith. Many skeptics and atheists throughout history have declared the reality of suffering and evil makes the idea of a loving and all-powerful God absurd. As the renowned American atheist Robert Ingersoll once said, injustice upon earth renders the justice of heaven impossible. You know, friends, probably no other issue is responsible for more people abandoning their faith than the reality of suffering and evil in our world. In fact, it was the reality of suffering that led Charles Darwin to renounce his faith and begin his quest to explain the natural world apart from a creator God. Darwin admitted But I own that I cannot see as plainly as others do, and I should wish to do evidence of design and beneficence on all sides of us. There seems to me too much misery in the world. Prominent atheist thinkers throughout history, like Epicurus, David Hume, H.G. Wells, and Bertrand Russell, have used the reality of suffering to argue against the existence of God. In more recent times, critics like Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, Bill Maher, all have ridiculed the God of the Bible in light of the reality of suffering in our world. The problem, as they and many others today see it, is this. If God is good and loving, he will eliminate suffering. If God is all-powerful, he can eliminate suffering. But suffering is not eliminated Therefore, there is no good and loving, all-powerful God. Friends, this problem of suffering is obviously a challenging issue for us. 
And as we've been talking about throughout the course of the summer, as Christians who are called to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul tells us that we are to go into all the world and be ambassadors, representing God and his interest to the world. And as ambassadors for Jesus Christ, when we interact with our world, the question of suffering is one of those challenging, difficult issues that will inevitably arise. People ask if there's a God, if he really loves me, if he's really all-powerful, why does he allow this suffering in our lives? And you know, as Christians, friends, we are called to be ready to give an answer to these difficult questions. 1 Peter 3.15, be ready always to give to any person who asks you a reason for the hope that you have. And friends, if we are going to proclaim hope in the midst of the suffering in our lives and in our world, we need to be ready to give an answer for that hope. We need to be ready to explain to those who are wrestling with their faith or questions of doubt because of the reality of suffering, we need to be ready to give them an answer. So what can we say to those critics who would raise the reality of suffering as an argument against God? What can we say to those who are struggling with doubts over this particular issue? And how can we ourselves as believers come to terms with this difficult reality? Well, I want to share with you this morning what I believe is the key to understanding the reality of suffering in our world. And the key to understanding the reality of suffering in our world is to have a proper understanding of the nature of God and his plans and purposes for our world. And it's on these points that the critics and skeptics err and the doubters just simply misunderstand. See, friends, calling into question God's existence because of suffering is really a rush to judgment. And denying God's love and power because suffering exists is to miss what God himself has revealed to us. You might remember all throughout this series this summer, we've been looking at three foundational questions. They're really the three most important questions that any person can ask. And they have implications for every other question and every other issue, every decision we make in our lives. Is there a God... Has he spoken, and if so, will we trust him and obey? Friends, those three questions are really the bottom line of everything. If there's a creator God who's made us, if he's revealed truth to us, the question becomes, will we trust him and obey? And the same is true when it comes to our understanding of this issue of suffering. What has God revealed to us about his nature and purposes, and how can those truths help us come to terms with the reality of suffering in our world? Now, remember, friends, the challenge in the problem of suffering relates to two primary questions. Number one, is God loving? And number two, is God all-powerful? So I want to examine this morning what God has revealed to us in regards to these two points. Take this first issue, for example, is God loving? Question number one in our critics and skeptics argument. The Bible says a lot about the love of God. Take a look at a few of these passages of Scripture. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. 
Psalm 107.1, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. 1 John 4.8, whoever does not love does not know God because God is what? He's love. This is God's self-revelation to us. And friends, we could go on and on and on throughout Scripture. God affirms to us that by his nature, he is love. And because God by nature is abounding and overflowing and bountiful love, God desired to share that love with others. And so God created. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And part of God's creation was to make man and woman, human beings. God created human beings to live in relationships of love with one another and ultimately with him, our creator. Friends, have you ever wondered why God created? This is why. This is why God created. It was his love and his desire to share that love with others. God created us to share his abounding love with us so that we in return might love and glorify him. Friends, that's why you're here this morning. That's why you exist. That's why any of us exist. Because God loves us and wanted to share his bountiful love with us. But what does this have to do with the presence of suffering in our world? Well, please understand this. To have love requires two essential realities. Freedom and risk. To have love requires two essential realities, freedom and risk. And when God created us, he gave each of us a free will to make our own decisions, to respond to his love or to reject it, to listen to and obey his will or to rebel against it. Friends, genuine love demands a choice. To have true love, you have to have the option to choose not to love. You see, God wanted his creation to be more than pre-programmed robots. You know, I can set up my computer to wake me up every morning. I can have my screensaver on my computer wake me up every morning in big words scrolling across the screen, Jason, I love you. You are the greatest guy in the whole world. Man, I worship every decision you make, every move you make. You are amazing. Now, friends, I could program my computer to do that every morning, but does my computer genuinely love me? Is that real love? No, that's just a computer doing what it was programmed to do. But you see, here's where the risk comes in, friends. When given a choice, there's always the possibility for making the wrong one. And this is what God's creation did. We chose wrongly. In Genesis chapter 3, God explains to us the origin of suffering and evil in our world. It began when Adam and Eve... God's original created pair, the parents of all humanity. Suffering and evil began when Adam and Eve chose wrongly and rebelled against God. Rebellion against God in any form is called sin. And when Adam and Eve sinned, the perfect world that God had created for them, 
their perfect relationship with him, their perfect relationship with one another, all of these things became fractured. And the entrance of sin into the world, what we as Christians call the fall, the fall had all kinds of dire consequences, consequences we still live with today, including the entrance of both moral evil and natural evil into our world. Moral evil is the evil that we commit against our fellow human beings. Natural evil is sickness, disease, famine, earthquake, a whole host of natural disasters. All of these things came into the world as the result of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 says that all of creation groans waiting to be liberated from its bondage to decay. People say, well, Jason, that's not fair. How could one couple's choice have all of these consequences? Well, friends, you need to understand this. All choices have consequences. And the more significant the choice, the more significant the consequences. You know, this morning when I woke up, I went up into my kitchen And I decided, you know, I'm going to have some caffeine this morning. And so when I went into my kitchen, I had the choice. Am I going to have a can of Coke or am I going to have a cup of coffee? Now, friends, that wasn't a very significant choice. And as a result, the consequences of it weren't all that significant. I mean, we're talking maybe a few extra calories, right? Now, on the other hand, what if my choice was between a can of Coke and a cup of Clorox? Well, now that choice becomes tremendously significant. And the consequences of that choice become really profound. Adam and Eve were given the most significant choice ever, to obey or to disobey God. And because of that, the consequences were extremely severe, extending even to the natural world. Please understand this, friends. God, who is holy, did not create evil and suffering. The evil and suffering in our world today is the result of sin. The original sin of Adam and Eve and the rebellious sin nature that we've all inherited through them. All of us, friends, are infected with a spiritual disease called sin. And we suffer because we sin. We sin against God and we sin against one another. We suffer because of our sinful choices and the resulting damage caused by these choices. And friends, when you understand this, as C.S. Lewis once observed, the question changes from why do we suffer to why don't we suffer more? when you understand the depravity of our sin nature. You see, friends, God's love and his desire for relationships of love with his creation actually provides the explanation for the presence of evil in our world, for the presence of suffering in our world. But this then leads to a whole new question. Wouldn't God's love also compel him to want to bring an end to suffering? And so now we're back to the critic's challenge. Maybe God is good and all-loving, but maybe 
He's just not powerful enough to do anything about the suffering in our world. Maybe he's not really all powerful. Well, again, let's take a look at what God himself says about this question. Question number two, is God all-powerful? And once again, on this question, God has declared unequivocally, yes. Take a look at these passages of Scripture. Psalm 103, 19, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Psalm 115, 3, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Job 42, 1 through 2, Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Isaiah 46, 9 through 10, Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. And again, friends, we could go on and on. Make no mistake, God is sovereign over all. He has all the power. He has all the knowledge. He has all the control. As the Apostle Paul says in Acts 17, in him... All of creation lives and moves and has our being. Does God have the power to end suffering? Without question, he does. Without question. So why doesn't he end it? Why does God allow suffering and evil to continue to plague the creation he loves so very much? Friends, I'm going to be honest with you this morning. I don't have all the answers to that question. But what I can tell you is what God himself has revealed to us in Scripture. And I believe if we'll trust him, we'll come to see the reality of suffering in a whole new light. And if we'll trust him, we'll come away with an even bigger view of our great and loving and all-powerful God. So what has God revealed to help us understand the ongoing reality of suffering in our world today? Let me briefly share with you five key insights from Scripture. Five key insights from Scripture and what should be our appropriate response to them. Insight number one, God in his wisdom has a plan. So trust. God in his wisdom has a plan, so trust. Three years ago, my, uh, I woke up uh, one morning on the weekend, I went outside, it was January, it was, uh, we were in the middle of a deep freeze. And I went out and I looked out my back window and my deck that the day before was nice and even and level with my house, all of a sudden was heaved up about a foot or two uh, up from the frost in the ground. And I went outside on my deck and I looked and my deck was actually lifting the roof of my house off uh, our three-season porch was actually lifting the roof off of our house because of the heaving from our deck. Well, man, obviously I'm concerned when I see this, right? 
So I call my buddy Dennis Johnson up. A lot of you guys know Dennis Johnson. He's a local contractor here in town. And, and I end up having Dennis Johnson come over to give me a hand and help fix my deck. And uh, when springtime rolled around, uh, Dennis and his son and his crew come over and, and uh, they start to go to work fixing and repairing my deck. And Dennis tells me, Jason, we're going to have to take out all of the uh, current pilings that are holding up your deck. My deck's about 20 feet off the ground, maybe not that, maybe 15 feet off the ground. It's a high deck. And uh, we're going to have to remove all the pilings. We're going to have to dig new holes six feet deep into the ground to prevent any future frost damage. And I'm thinking, okay, sounds good. So I come home from work. The first day, Dennis and his son are out there working. And I'm inside my kitchen making lunch, and all of a sudden I start hearing all this pounding and banging and drilling, and I'm thinking, what is going on? I mean, my house is shaking. And so I walk out in my backyard, and I take a look, and, and my deck looks like it's being torn apart. I mean, the, all the support beams are gone. These guys are sawing sections of the deck apart. And I'm looking at this thing, and I'm thinking, this is a disaster. What is going on? But you know something... Dennis had a plan. And what to me, in the immediate, looked like a disaster, looked like a mess, about a week later turned into a beautiful end result. A whole brand new deck. Three years now with no frost damage problems. I mean, awesome. He had a plan. And you see, friends, God too knows what he's doing. God has a plan. We may not always understand God's reasons. We may not always understand why he allows suffering in our world or in our lives, but we can be confident that God has a plan. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. God has a plan, friends. Take a look at Proverbs 16, 33. This is incredible. I just discovered this Proverbs the first time this week. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Friends, there is no chance in our world. The die is cast, the lot is cast, but it's every decision is from the Lord. God has a plan and a purpose for all things. Take a look at Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Friends, right now our understanding is limited. But one day, all will be made clear. We may not understand the suffering in our lives or why God allows us to experience the suffering that he does. But one day, it all makes sense. As the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. One day, friends, God will make his plans and purposes to us clear. Right now, we see just a poor reflection but one day we are going to see crystal clear God's plans and purposes. And so for now, because God is good, and because he is loving, and because he is faithful, and because he is all-powerful, and because he is in total control, we trust him. We trust him and his sovereign plan. Insight number two, God and his patience has a purpose 
So belief. Belief. John 3.16, that classic Bible verse. Jason, you use John 3.16 almost every sermon. Yeah, I do, because it's the greatest verse in the whole Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but will have eternal life. One of the reasons, friends, that God may be delaying bringing an end, a final end to the suffering in our world is because of God's desire for all people to hear the gospel and be saved. Why is God delaying? Because God wants all to be saved. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. He is coming back. He's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Let me ask you a question, friends. What if God had judged sin and brought an end to our suffering the day before you trusted in Jesus. Just think about that. What if God had decided to bring an end to sin and evil and suffering the day before you trusted in Jesus? Aren't you thankful for God's patience? God is patient, not wanting anyone to perish. Friend, let me tell you, if you're here this morning... If you're here this morning and you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, what are you waiting for? I mean, there is no more important decision you will ever make in your entire life. There is no greater decision that you will ever make in your entire life than to come into a saving relationship with your Creator God and to know Him as your Heavenly Father and to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are a child of God. What are you waiting for? God is patient, and he desires your salvation, but his patience will not last forever. Jesus is coming again to judge sin and to bring an end to the evil and suffering in our world once and for all. And so if you haven't trusted in him, please don't delay. Believe. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Insight number three, God for his glory provides. God for his glory provides. What does he provide? He provides grace. And so we boast. We boast in him. You know, friends, sometimes God allows us to suffer so that in our weakness, his power might be most clearly displayed. One of the great modern-day heroes of the faith, a woman who's been an inspiration to me since I was a little boy and I first heard her story. Many of you know her. Her name is Johnny Erickson Tata. Incredible woman. At the age of 17, back in 1967, in a diving accident, she was rendered quadriplegic. She went through a long period of suffering and doubt and questioning her faith, but eventually she turned to God in her faith, in her suffering and in her doubts. And friends, God has used this woman today in incredible ways. She's become an international evangelist. 
She's become an international advocate for people with disabilities. Everywhere she goes today, she gives glory to God for the gift, the gift of her disability because of the power of his grace in her life. Today she boasts in her suffering because she's experienced God's incredible power and grace. And because of her faith, she's literally touched countless lives around the face of the earth. What an inspiration. Her story is just like that of the Apostle Paul's. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul describes this trial that he was experiencing. We don't know what it was, but he describes it as a thorn in the flesh. And he says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul goes on, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. I will boast in them, he says, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says, I boast in my sufferings. Because it's in our sufferings, friends, that God's grace comes most powerfully into our lives. And his power is most clearly displayed when we trust him by faith. You know, friends, if God allows you to suffer in this manner, like the Apostle Paul, like Johnny Erickson Tata, you can know that he'll also give you the grace that you need. And when he does, boast in him. Boast in him and proclaim his grace and his power and his glory, even in the midst of your suffering. Boast in him so that the whole world will know that your God is great and powerful and loving and faithful, even in the midst of whatever trials or pain or suffering you might face. Our God is faithful, and so we boast in him. Insight number four. God in his love punishes. God in his love punishes. So submit. Submit. Now, I know you're going to find this hard to believe this morning, but when I was a little kid, I got punished a lot. Okay, my uncle's sitting back here. He can vouch for me. When I, got, when I was a little kid, I, I was disciplined quite a bit. Okay, I had, a, I had a little brother four years younger than me, and uh, we used to fight like cats and dogs. I mean, my, uh, my dad would go on speaking trips quite a bit. He was a Christian evangelist and apologist, and so he would be on the road traveling a lot. And when he was gone, I mean, we put my mom, I mean, we put her through it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we, were, we were at each other all the time. And my mom would always warn us, you boys, you know what's going to happen when your dad gets home. And I tell you what, man, I had my share of spankings. I had my share of being sent to my room. I had my share of my uh, allowance money being taken away. Look, I know what it is to be punished. But you know what? My dad, whenever he punished me, whether it was a spanking or whatever it may be, he always would come and he would give me a hug. And he says, Jason, I want you to know I do this because I love you. 
I do this because I love you. Take a look at what the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You know, God will sometimes bring punishment into our lives as a result of our sinful choices and straying from his will. But he does so because he loves us. He loves us enough to discipline us so that we might turn back to him and ultimately grow in our relationship with him. And friends, some of you might be in the midst of God's discipline in your life today. Maybe you've strayed from God's will and now you're facing the consequences of those choices. If that's the case, the best thing you can do today is to submit. Submit to the Lord's discipline. Thank him for it with a repentant heart and seek his will. God will honor that. He'll forgive you for your sins. And he'll help you to get back on the right track again. He'll do that because he loves you. Insight number five, and I close with this. God in his faithfulness promises. He promises ultimate victory. And so we hope. We hope. Friends, God has his reasons for allowing the suffering in our world today to continue. But he's also assured us that one day he's going to make all things new. Revelations 21, 3 through 5, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Friends, God is going to make all things new once again. He's going to eradicate once and for all sin, all evil, all suffering. The Apostle Paul describes this radical transformation we're going to experience one day in Romans chapter 8. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that would be revealed in us. God has promised that one day he's going to make all things right once again. And in the meantime, we wait and we serve as his ambassadors to the world and we hope we hope, even in our suffering, because we know Jesus is coming.
and he's promised us the victory in him. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promises you've given us in your word about who you are and your faithfulness in light of the reality of suffering. We thank you for your awesome love. We thank you for your incredible power. And we thank you, Lord, that you have a plan and a purpose even for our suffering, even in the midst of our suffering, and no plan or purpose of yours will ever be thwarted. God, give us a great and awesome and big vision of who you are so that we might trust you as we go through the trials of life, so that we might trust you even in these things that we don't always understand. Help us put our faith and hope in you. And may we always boast in you, Lord, because of the grace that you provide even in the midst of our suffering. Heavenly Father, if there's anybody here this morning who hasn't put their trust in you, I just pray that right now they might call out to you and invite you into their lives, saying a simple prayer like, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I know I need you and I know that much of the suffering in my life is a result of my choosing to stray from your will. Jesus, will you forgive me? I believe in you and I trust in you. And I put my faith in you this morning. Friends, if you'll call out to the Lord, if you'll pray even just a silent prayer in your own heart this morning, God will forgive you. And he'll make you a new creation. He'll make you a child of God. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are, for what you've done, and for your faithfulness to us. We pray this in your name. Amen.